0: Uh, That's uh entry for Burp along with Jim. It is the nineties, and there is time
1: for the Pie Factory Podcast. So uh, yeah. So what are we doing now? We're doing episode 81 of Pie Factory Podcast, are we? We
0: are doing 81 of the Pie Factory Podcast. 81 yes. of the Pie Factory mostly Podcast. Mostly we record at night. Mostly. Mostly. hmm Yeah. And, and that fits uh, in with the theme of the episode. Yay. Yay. So we're done? Well, I said it fits in with the theme. I didn't say we were done. Oh, because okay. yeah. usually the theme is like the last thing we talk about. I said it fits in with the theme. I didn't say it was the hmm. theme. Yeah, but still it threw me off there. Yeah, that's well, not a hard task. Nah. So, Sean, what have you been up to? What have you been playing?
1: Oh, I noticed how you uh, changed the question uh, before I could answer. Yep. Because you knew I was going to say, six foot two.
0: <whistles> <whistles> yeah. Which
1: I would say, I'm taller than you. Yes, you are. And uh, what? if I can remember what the heck I've, I've been playing, because the weekend before we're recording this, I actually went to two arcades, went to Underground Retrocade and Galloping Ghost. And at Galloping Ghost, I played both of the games we're going to talk about this afternoon.
0: Yeah, and I uh, watched the uh, part of the live stream of one of the games, and uh, I already know what you're going how you're going to rate one of these games. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, boy. Yep, yep. Just, oh, my reaction to Reactor was priceless, wasn't it? But anyway, <laughs> um, you yeah, know what else? I, you know what? I meant to play Klax over at galloping Ghost because uh, that's the current game that uh the 10 Pence people are going to be talking about oh the next right. episode and i totally forgot i totally forgot to play it i should have read it down
0: you know well it is the 2010s and there is still time for clacks yeah i guess i guess there is there's always time for clacks in fact didn't, didn't we say that on one of yes. the uh uh, one of the home versions, <laughs> that it actually, instead of saying it is the 90s and there it's, is time for clacks, it actually said there is something? always time for clacks. Ah. And that is true. There is always time for clacks. Including now? It, well, yes, including now. Oh, to play clacks yeah. then. What Especially if you uh, play the arcade version or the, 70, the awesome 7800 uh, prototype version. I, <laughs> they did a really good job on that one never and, got released
1: uh, let's see what did i play at um underground retrocade i played both peed games i tried
0: millipede and
1: stupid yes oh. i tried to repeat my 1.2 million on uh, turbo junior pac-man but it didn't happen however i did exceed my twin galaxies record by about a hundred thousand points so i might Hold submit on. That. i just
0: i i just, I just got inspiration <clears throat> Turbo Junior Pac-Man. No. Turbo no. Junior. Oh. No. We the, the Love
1: theme from Adenda and Arata is complicated enough as it is. We don't need to nah, make it even worse. So, uh. Still so, yeah. got a little musical ring to it. Yeah. And I try. Well, then again, it's it's actually listed as Junior Pac-Man Turbo, which I guess could still fit the meter. still works. Yes. Yeah, it has the same. It still has the
0: same. It's still trochaic trimeter. It's still syllabic.
1: Yeah. And I also tried to, uh see if i could uh repeat my ms pac-man turbo uh high but i couldn't um i still i still got the daily high score in that game though but uh, that, that's ms. beside Pac-Man, the point i, um, I don't ride. think i went upstairs at all with the, the where the post crash games are uh-huh so i didn't yeah i didn't go upstairs oh I, I finally played marble madness i've played the uh commodore 64 and amiga versions of it oh, but really? not the arcade Galloping Ghost has had it for years, but the problem is, uh, the times that I've gone there and I wanted to play it, I couldn't play it because there was and- no freaking room to move around to get there. I could have played it Sunday. Sundays are good days to go to Galloping Ghost because it's not as crowded and of course, now that I said that, everybody listening is going to say,
0: "Ooh, that's a good uh, and, So then now uh, Sunday just are realized I don't have Marble Madness on our list, so I just added it.
1: We don't, I thought I thought you wanted to talk about it. Let's I do want to talk yeah. about it, but I didn't have it
0: on the list for some reason. Yeah,
1: and uh, my my initial reaction to the arcade Marble Madness, frustrating as hell and fun as hell as well. About as fun as hell could be, I guess.
0: Fun as hell as well.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, cause that, that's a recently acquired, um, underground retrocade game. Uh, what else did I play? Oh man, I don't remember what else I played. Yeah. I really spent a lot of time on the PD and I also spent a lot of time on the PD games at uh, Galloping ghost. And when I walked in, I, I got there shortly after they opened at, at 11 mm-hmm. And, so, uh,
0: so basically you peed yourself?
1: Yes, exactly. Oh, cool. So I, I went over to play some Millipede, and I saw that there was already uh, basically a camera ready to go because Duke was going to be streaming it, and he did stream it, by the way, speaking of peed. And uh, so I was like, oh, before Duke gets here, I'm going to get in a few rounds of, of Millipede here. And the difference between the Millipede at Underground Retrocade and the Millipede at Galloping Ghost is that... Uh, uh, the retrocade it's set for marathon settings which means you can keep getting extra lives mm-hmm. and it, the ghost it's set on tournament settings which means you just get your initial three lives and that's it Uh-oh. so that, it's a it's still it's still fun game to play that way though it really is And i played some more senate all right now here's here's what really drives me nuts hmm. playing centipede at galloping ghost can be nerve-wracking if you're not wearing a hat because oh. the HVAC system is right over it. And when I was in California, I I finally acquired a hat. Because any of you who've seen the back of my head, you see there's like a big, huge spot in my head where it's just really extremely super thin, almost bald. So I got a hat to protect myself from the sun. It wouldn't happen to be an Atari speaker hat, would it? No, oh. no. Um, it you. is a Chicago Cubs hat that I bought in Avalon on Catalina Island. And a store that had a lot of Chicago Cubs paraphernalia.
0: Yes, I just listened to your 7800 Homebrew podcast yeah. today. Yes, yeah, I yes. accidentally
1: said memorabilia, but I don't think it was really memorabilia. It was just paraphernalia. It was like hats and shirts and stuff.
0: But well, memorabilia can be paraphernalia, and paraphernalia can be memorabilia. Well, that,
1: well that's, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true.
0: That could go both ways, but yet they're also not interchangeable at the same time. Go fig.
1: Yeah. But I gotta remember when I go to the, the the Galloping Ghost Arcade, I have to bring some kind of a hat if I'm gonna play Centipede.
0: Otherwise, people might be able to chill their drinks on your head.
1: Yeah, and oh, I also cool. played Turkey Shoot. There was literally a pain in the neck because of my neck pain. Because I, I had to, you have to kind of squat down and look behind the gun mm-hmm. on there. But man, I I gotta go back and play that some more when I'm, when my neck is completely recovered. Yeah, man, ain't... That is such a, I love that game so much. We got to add that to the spreadsheet, by the that way. That actually,
0: I think, is on the spreadsheet Oh, already. good, good, good. Uh, so we, we got to come up looking, with looking. the Looking, looking, Yes, it's right under Flicky. Hmm.
1: And I, I didn't play it because I, I don't think it was in working order when I went, but right next to Turkey Shoot is Chiller. Oh. And I didn't get to play it. Man, that is one effed up game, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: God. You, you're oh, telling me. I've played it in emulation. I have never seen it in an arcade or in anywhere physically I, I don't think i've been to get the ghost since they've gotten it and it, it's, it's no wonder that the uh the nes uh port of that particular game was uh an unofficial non-nintendo approved release yeah but That's,
1: man that game is so
0: violent and oh there's man. a lot there's nudity in it too
1: yeah but it's not it's, it's not cartoon nudity. nudity it's cartoon nudity
0: yeah, yeah. it's not like miss world new 96 i think it's 96 yeah 96 yeah not nudity like that. It's cartoony oh, man. nudity, but it's, um, that, it's game very will, that, that game
1: will give you re- very depressing dreams.
0: It, it, it's it's not so much scary as it is a uh, no. The it's hell? Just, it's just it's weird, disturbing. Yeah, disturbing is the best <laughs> way to say it. Yeah.
1: And uh, let's see. In Saturday, I had a few friends over for some home gaming. Oh, yeah. Really, including our, we met we someone we mentioned way back I think in possibly our first episode, our friend Cracker Jack finally uh, got to yes. uh, finally got in touch with him or he he got in touch with me actually yes so it was good good to have him over here and uh, my friend Neil uh, actually he and his wife both responded uh, yes but uh, Carrie had to uh, cancel at the last second oh that's sad you and Carrie could have had an argument over uh, Desert Falcon. Oh, she, she loves it, huh? I think so. I think she does. Yeah. Oh, I hate that game. You hate that game. Yeah, I hate it. It's not <sighs> good. It's not fun. So yeah, what do we have? We had we had the uh, seventy eight hundred up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neil brought his Atari eight hundred XL. We were futzing around with that. Um, mm-hmm. My Commodore sixty four, mm-hmm. which I think I think the only game that we played was Crossroads on that, which is. Oh, yeah, that's, I mean, that is that, so much fun. That is a, that's a type in program that appeared in, oh, this, the, oh God, this is a kind of weird coincidence, kind of a tragic coincidence, but that is a type in program from compute, computes Gazette magazine. Mm-hmm. And that, those of you who might remember, there was a magazine called compute and there was a special Commodore 64 edition of Compute called Gazette. And I think it was the December 1988 issue that had Crossroads in it, which is a fantastic game. I like to describe it as Wizard of War on Angel Dust.
0: Not, If anything, I was going to say on steroids, but steroids would actually make you larger. Uh, everything in this game is like shrunk down, so it's yeah. definitely not steroids. Yeah.
1: And I just wish I could get a better display out of it, though, because the, the red and black is hard to read. I think... It's because this is a really early Commodore 64 that I have that I got at Midwest Gaming Classic this year. Mm-hmm. I think, if I think like the slightly newer ones, uh, they have sharper pictures. So uh, I just might be on the lookout for something like that. Like, I would love to get a Commodore 64C again. I loved my 64C.
0: Now, that's uh, the the later one with the, it was kind of like in the more stylized, yeah, uh, cream or white case. Yeah, it was. It was basically when okay. uh, Commodore was trying to make
1: all their computers look Amiga esque, Amigish. <laughs> they did. They did something similar to the uh, Commodore 128 too.
0: And actually, Atari did that. Made their tried to make their 8 bit uh, computers look like the STs. The 65 yeah, xc looks yeah.
1: a lot like the 520ST. Uh, it really does. But here's the weird coincidence. I still have that issue of Compute's Gazette. See. Yeah. It was. It was given to me. By somebody who died in the Plainfield Tornado, which was...
0: Uh, exactly 28 years ago from the day we are recording this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I was like, yeah, I it's falling apart, but I can't get rid of this thing.
0: Well, years ago, my uh, 1982 World's Fair guidebook started uh, falling apart, and I could not throw that thing away because, A, I was actually at a World's Fair, and B... There was an ad in the back for Jim and Tammy Baker's Heritage USA. I could oh, not no throw worry. that out. I still have it. I I fixed it with uh, with uh, electrical tape. <laughs> now that was in Knoxville, right? It was in Knoxville, Tennessee, and Heritage USA was about two hundred and fifty miles away. Maybe not quite that far.
1: So you you got to see the wig sphere. The wig sphere. I must have spent our last ten dollars on this Al Gordo. You are hearing me
0: talk. <laughs> One of the funniest things ever on the seasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So, and that we a, a fun time was had by all. Uh, thank you for the pizza, by the way.
1: Um, You're quite
0: welcome. And it was good pizza. It's Giordano's, so duh, it's good. Oh, but yeah. I've never had this. Oh, thin and uh, crust. Duke was
1: there too. I should mention Duke, Duke yeah, was I, there. I forgot to mention Duke because he wasn't on the Facebook invite because he
0: hardly ever goes on Facebook. Face- so I figured I've I better noticed. just text him. You're saying that. And I brought over uh, a Sega Genesis controller in my Uno cart, which happened to have oh, yeah. the uh, Scramble homebrew for the 8-bits. That's a good one. That's a really good uh, I port. love the
1: graphics on that. The graphics are fantastic. I'm not a fan of the sound on it, though.
0: Yeah, there's one or two minor quibbles with it. But, uh, but I mean, it's a, it's a solid port. Sure. And I, it, I'd it, highly recommend it. It The one thing that really, truly amazes me about uh, the 2600 and the 8-bit computers well, not so much the 7800, but with the uh, the 8-bit computers and the Atari 2600, you can program games to use at least two buttons on a Sega Genesis controller without any sort of an adapter. That's and scramble on the 8-bit, uh, you can set it up to use two buttons on a Genesis controller with no adapter. That's amazing.
1: You see, it sounds amazing, but it might be not quite so amazing as it is simply because... The original machines weren't packaged with two-button controllers, and you couldn't True. get two-button two controllers, but, but the, the only way ability you could do was it.
0: obviously there. The only way you could do it is if every pin had some sort of, uh, some sort of input or output or whatever on the connector, yeah. and they obviously did. Uh, obviously, the Atari 7800 has that, but for some reason, to use a Genesis controller, you need an adapter. Now, that might just be, though, for the games that Atari programmed. Uh, you. I wonder if it's possible to use a Genesis to if somebody to for somebody to program a game on the 7800, brand new from the ground up, to use two buttons on the Genesis without any sort of an adapter. Hmm. In fact, I might post that to Atari Age. That's a great question. I don't know if anyone's ever asked that. I imagine that'd be very possible. Very possible, I would think. But then again, who knows? You know, Hmm. don't know. So, you, Uh,
1: what have you played uh, recently? Oh, before I even even answer, what did you think of Draconian?
0: I liked it. The as you were saying, the uh, audio is a lot clearer, um, which is weird because it's muddier. Yet you can yet he, it's he, muddier and clearer at the same time. Yeah, yeah the guy it's,
1: doesn't sound like Elmer Fudd.
0: My only thing is, there's something with draconian. As good of a job as they did, and they did a great job with it, it just doesn't feel right. You know, hmm. sometimes you play a game or read a, a, a watch a movie or something and you really enjoy it, but there's just like one thing that just doesn't really feel right, and you really can't place your finger on it. Hmm. And I kind of felt that way with Draconian. Really? It's great. I loved the, oh, I, I uh, saw, I didn't see the manual for it at your house, but I did see the manual for it on Atari Asia today, and oh god, that's a great looking manual. It looks just like one of those uh, auto repair manuals. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh gosh, that was so awesome. I used to have a uh, a repair manual for my uh, my Chevy Corsica, or as I call it, the Crapsica, that uh, looked exactly like that, except in a different color. I was just laughing when I saw that. I had a Chevy uh,
1: Corsica too, and I, I was I didn't find anything wrong with it.
0: Well, I had about one hundred and seventy five thousand miles. Ah, my transmission true. went kaput, and I still had like six months left of payments oh, on the car. Geez. And yeah, so. But that's a story. Yeah, my strategy
1: day. was getting married and not having a gift registry, which meant, which meant that most people gave money and that went to my car payments.
0: I never so thought I, about that. That's a bit yeah. not a bad idea, and I could use a lot of money right now. <clears throat> I don't come best. from a rich <clears throat> family, mind you. No, neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> Lord knows I don't. But um, but uh, I I rather enjoyed that and got to play Vector Pilot on your Vectrex, and that is so damned amazing. I was curious about this. Uh, because the audio, the sound on that was so damn, that was arcade perfect. I won't say it was close to arcade, it was literally arcade perfect. Come to find out, the Time Pilot machine and the Vectrex have the same sound chip. Yep. You, you were researching that because I like, this sounds way too close to the arcade. <laughs> and so that was really awesome. Uh, as I said, I was playing that, uh, what was that game on the 64? Uh, Chris, Crossroads. Crossroads, that's that's just an amazing game. I loved that one. Great for a type in. And, um, play that's, Out of
1: all the Commodore 64 games I've played, that is my favorite, including the commercial, the real commercial games. And I can the see for. why.
0: Is that, that's only a, one person at a time,
1: isn't it? Or is that two? Um, people? I no, you it's it's got two players simultaneous.
0: Okay. We're going to have to try that next time. Oh. And, uh, that then sounds I, was, like I also a played Cube cubert on there and i have to say cubert on the c64 is probably the best home version he has down really good i was impressed and the ColecoVision version would be a very 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 close second what else did we play on there i don't remember all of it uh,
1: uh we the centipede which looks pretty much like the 5200 version mm-hmm. i wasn't a big fan of it, it looks kind of choppy
0: yeah i didn't care for it either we did play gauntlet on the 8-bit for a little while and yeah and I played it and I was like, "Oh, I don't remember it being this bad, but and I like thinking I must' have been playing a different release of it, uh, but I got home and no, it was indeed the mindscape version I have here at home and um yeah, oh that i can't I can't get into that version for one big reason, and that is mm-hmm. when you move your character, he doesn't when you let off the joystick, he just doesn't stop. he has to snap into a position. It's like there's a grid where your guy can stop. Or there's a grid where your guy has to stop, and if you're not on the grid, you go to the next one in the direction you're heading. And I don't think the enemies on the Atari Eight Bit Gauntlet had to do that. I'm you know pretty what? Pretty sure they this, didn't.
1: I might be remembering incorrectly, but I think the Commodore sixty four version is the same way.
0: It's possible. I've never played it, so I couldn't tell you. But um, yeah, I'm as far as but had a a <clears throat> a good time was had by all and. Thank you for the uh, whiskey and root beer. Uh, that's always a good thing. Um, I'll have to
1: try that combination.
0: F- as uh, Fred No, a uh, former president of the Jim Beam Company, once said <clears throat> The proper amount of bourbon to drink is exactly two fingers. Fortunately, I have big fingers. So there you go. Uh huh. <sighs> I love that quote. I, gotta, I actually have a bottle of uh, Jim Beam, or no, of Knob Creek sitting here. That uh, was uh, autographed by Fred. No, uh, unfortunately, I drank everything out of it, but I still have the bottle. I mean, come on, uh, <laughs> the head of the company. Everything you get at the uh, the Jim Beam Visitor Center in Kentucky is autographed by the, f- the head of the company, so that's mm. really cool. At least it used to be. I don't know now. It was uh, eight years ago when I was up th- over there. So, uh, as far as what else I've been playing, um, yeah, the games tonight and. Um, I've been pretty much just experimenting with different things on my 8-bit flash cart, just trying to find different games that uh, seem like fun. And there's this one platform game I was playing just last night, and I can't remember the name of it, but I got to look for it again. And it's a platforming game that I want to learn because the animation and graphics are really good. And your character looks like Joe from Family Guy, except he can walk. But the animation, everything's really good. I just cannot figure the damn game out. <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to f- remember the name of it. I know I'll come across it again because this is like the third time I've come across it and can't remember the name. Hmm. But um, I just can't think of it. So uh, yeah, I was looking on Atari Mania today to t- AtariMania.com today to see if I they I could figure it out, but I couldn't find the game. So there's that. Yeah, so that's pretty much what I've been. What I've been up to. Do we have any news, addenda, errata, anything like that? I don't think we
1: do Uh, today. Oh, there there is something that we should possibly address, though. Hmm. Uh, Have you heard uh, what apparently a a thing is now? Hmm. Hiring a personal tutor, a coach, if you will.
0: I've heard. I know what you're saying. I have heard this. Yeah. They were talking about this on um, what it is. People are hiring tutors to learn video games specifically Fortnite. yeah and they were then weren't they talking this about this on uh, completely unnecessary podcasts or I retro league I, or I, one of those shows i i don't remember i actually heard it on npr myself oh okay well they must have heard it from them too then yeah but
1: why my my parents would have paid for someone to not tutor me in video games yeah
0: no kidding <laughs>
1: Come on, really?
0: I remember, I think I've related this story before, but one time me and my brother, like right after it came out, uh, we got uh, The Legend of Zelda for the NES. And we were so addicted to this game. We were so trying to figure it out and solve it and whatever. And we were just not getting things done around the house. One day my dad comes home, rips it out of the NES, looks at the label goes, Legend of Zelda, I don't know who the bitch is. And then he took the game and hit it. (laughs) We found it. it. Okay. Oh yeah, we found. It. We knew where he hid it. He's only got one spot to hide stuff, and that's where he had his eight uh, millimeter uh, projector uh, porn films. Oh, lovely! And he hid it right next to that. So we had to go searching for quite some time to find The Legend of Zelda. I'm a sleazebag, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you don't know the half of it. Ender, 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 Ender. As far as the Dendenderada den, and den stuff goes, um, uh, Vertvik actually did uh, tweet us a picture oh, of, uh, the, of the European version of a centipede, or of a millipede cabinet, which is quite different looking than the American version. Because the American version is kind of triangle-esque, if you will, like uh, Tempest was, if I'm not mistaken. And this thing's kind of, it's flat on the back, but it's kind of like rounded on the front. And it looks like from the, from the picture I'm looking at, the marquee, the the title of the game is all on um, squished on the left, and I can't tell what the right of the machine is. It says on this picture. Maybe yeah, I should a try- uh, little help, Victor. Yeah, I can't see what that says there. This picture is a little too small. I can't zoom in. Hmm. But uh, that is the Euro version, and uh, it looks like it is in Vertvik's uh, log cabin in his backyard. Oh. so yeah, and I'm not joking. It looks like a literal log cabin. <laughs> oh so
1: it's not the syrup it's an actual cabin
0: well yeah i don't think would have luck cabin fake syrup up there anyway most maple syrup is fake you you don't know real maple syrup until you've had fresh maple syrup in fact last time i was at the that at that arcade uh down in uh, mclean illinois atlanta illinois it's right near the town of funks grove and uh they have uh, it's a huge maple grove like right smack in the middle of illinois and they make their own maple syrup there. Ooh, you know, what if you got maple syrup from Funk's Grove and they served it at Hunks Pancake House? Funks at Hunks. Oh man, it's too bad Hunks is long gone. Yeah, I know. Man, that was a that would have been a marketing opportunity. And I never ever had pancakes there. I always had cheeseburgers there. Well pancake houses do make good burgers. Oh they do. They, they do. Definitely oh like
1: do. Tony's across the street from Galloping
0: Ghost. Hell, Waffle House makes great chili. Oh gosh! Now I got to do a road trip to go to a Waffle House. Oh, that makes one of us. Other people call it Waffle House. Oh, I like that. I don't. I love Waffle House. the The hash browns scattered, smothered, and covered with the jalapenos huh. and the chili and the cheese and uh, what else? I don't remember. But the hash browns and the waffles are really good. Hmm. I like them. Anyway. Oh, there is
1: a uh, there is some feedback we failed to address from a month oh. ago there is yeah it's from uh s1500 speaking of waffle house who uh s1500 was uh, nice enough to uh, pay for our breakfast at a uh restaurant yes. that <laughs> the server told us yeah we're pretty much like waffle house except for wisconsin yeah yeah I, I, and i liked it too <laughs> he says um i got to enjoy liberator in it's ca- oh i played liberator too i also played liberator at galloping ghost finally. oh finally, you did yeah and um and actually, I I was actually able to get some decent progress on it, so I was kind of happy with it. But anyway, uh, S15, that, that, S fifteen hundred S fifteen hundred says H uh, U N D R E D hundred. I got to enjoy Liberator in its ca- oh, there's no apostrophe in its on this one. Come on now, uh, Liberator in its cab at Paradise Arcade. Initially, I couldn't make sense of it in MAME, but with real controls, it made sense. A good, challenging game. Oh, yeah. Also, I'm one of the few that prefers Millipede over Centipede. I'm one of those few also. Me too. Well, then, I mean, I like them equally, actually, I think, but uh, anyway, uh, he says they added much more depth to Centipede. There is satisfaction in hitting the DDT bombs, the game's red barrels, Uh, lots of creepy crawlies to attack, and the waves, I was doing finger quotes there, adds even more depth. There's all sorts of stuff to shoot at in the game that should have been on the 7800. Oh, yeah. Uh, And yes, Juno First belongs in the Hall of Fame. Checkbook font, great Williams-like sound effects, great gameplay. There's a handful of games like this, but all the meta around it makes it the best of them all.
0: Yeah, I would say Juno First is... Probably one of my favorite games. It's probably gonna. It would probably be in my top ten of all time. In fact, yeah. now that I say that, what did I rate it? Oh, no, we both rated it. A, rated it a five. Ah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That and iRobot would be probably two machines I would love to have. And then third, I would be thought Robotron.
1: about it, and if I were to have arcade machines, I think this is what I would have. I'd have Super Pac-Man in a mm-hmm. cocktail cabinet because I just think that's a great combination right there. I love cocktail cabinets. Okay, I would have uh, Tron in a full-size upright because that's one of the most beautiful cabinets mm-hmm. ever. And the sound on it, too. Oh, man. And the little um, UV light on it, too. I, lo- I love that. And Pac-Man in
0: a cabaret. Mm-hmm.
1: It's just, just something, something about that. I just really love those. I love the Pac-Man cabarets. Well...
0: Yeah. Um, Juno first. Uh, as I said, iRobot. What was the other one I said? Uh, Robotron. Hold, hold it, hold it, hold okay. it. This week in Robotron. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: oh, we also played that on the 7800
0: on... Oh, uh, yes we did. When, when everybody oh, was gosh, over. Oh gosh, Duke loved <laughs> the, yeah. challenge, uh, the challenge difficulty on 7800 Robotron. I
1: gotta spend some time with that. That is just so cool.
0: That is so awesome.
1: We were playing it with my... Uh, and Aladdin Super Twin 78.
0: Yeah, I'm just looking at our list here, and I don't have on here our theme for the Space Harrier Outrun episode, nor our scores. Huh. Huh. Well,
1: we'll just uh, have to re-listen to it.
0: Oh, uh, do I have to? Okay, so um, I would probably want a couple of cocktail tables. I would want a Tron cocktail, which I have seen one, and I just wish I had the money to buy it. I would have snapped that up in a heartbeat. Hmm. And... Uh, and I think, I believe I explained back in our Tron episode why, what the situation with that was. It was actually not a very pleasant situation as to why the person was selling it. And uh, I want a Nintendo Red Tent cocktail. I take one that wasn't working and I would gut it and put, turn it into a dual MAME cabinet. Huh. Uh, because those are just the coolest looking cocktails ever. The Nintendo Red Tent. I want one of those big time. I do like those. They're snazzy. They're different. They look. They look like you're in a Japanese arcade. Really, it does. Yeah, yeah, They do have kind of that candy cab feel to them. Yeah. So that that would actually probably be my holy grail cabinet. Would be a Nintendo red tent. Hmm. I mean, I love all the others, but that would be the one I would want the most. Hmm. And you could you could put whatever games you want in one of those things. Even if even yep. if you just stay with the Nintendo uh, stuff Nintendo made for it, there's still a great selection of games you could put in there so i guess that's that for that oh guess you know huh i guess
1: hey didn't we uh, hear from eugenio again did we i think we did didn't he mention uh I the game we just mentioned we not too long ago maybe we did i hold think on. we did
0: hold on let's uh, pull up our email oh um we did get a message from uh, paul Steele. uh we actually uh, we just got Steele. that uh today actually uh first of all thank you for listening paul he just mentions that uh, Jimmy G's restaurant in Pittsburgh is closed. Uh, he works about five blocks from where it used to be located, so I can use Jimmy G again. Yes, Ka-ching. you can. Woohoo! So thanks for thanks, Paul, for uh, for uh, telling me that because that now now I has a happy. Uh, Yay. as far and, uh, as
1: yeah, so Trek MD sent us an email on uh, August twentieth. Oh, there it is. Yeah, how about I start this time?
0: He actually doesn't have as many on here. But sure.
1: Yeah. Go for it. Okay. Hello, Sean and Jim. I hope you are doing well. Here is yet more feedback. No worries. This email is not as long as the previous ones. Smiley face. Jungle Hunt. I first played Jungle Hunt at the local mall arcade. It was called Time Out. I finally remembered. And I found the game to be interesting. Many quarters were spent on this one as I kept trying to get past those darned rocks on the slope. The Vines with the monkeys. No problem. The alligators in the river? No problem. Those darned rocks? Yep, those were a problem. I did manage to get past them a few times, but then the cannibals stabbed me with their spears and it was game over. Needless to say, I got this game on the 2600 back then and I was very, very happy to finally be able to complete the game. Since then, I've acquired the 5200 version, which is far more accurate and I've become much better at the game. I did not know of the existence of Jungle King until years later, and I will say that I have never seen a
0: Pirate Pete arcade machine. Funny how legal matters made the same Mm -hmm. game change twice. Although I don't know if it was actually legal matters that caused it to go from Jungle Hunt to Pirate Pete, though. I Mm. don't think so. I think they were just trying to wanted to get something out quick. That's That's the only thing I can think of what it was. Yeah, and the thing is, like Jungle Hunt
1: and Jungle King. The only real difference between the two is the character and the Tarzan yell. That's it.
0: But Pirate Pete and the other
1: two, there's just a world of graphical difference.
0: Pylon Pete? Yep. I have to say, too, well, again, we mentioned it in the episode, and you you confirmed this, that we have actually never seen a jungle hunt machine. Every time we've seen it, it's always been Jungle King. But I'm thinking about that. We're from the Chicago metro area. And what company at one time had their headquarters here in the Chicago area? Taito. So I'm thinking that got a heavy, that particular version of the game got a heavy distribution around oh. here before they, uh, the legal action took place that made them change it to Jungle Hunt. So I'm guessing that's why you and I have really never seen a Jungle Hunt machine.
1: Oh, this is interesting. Orcade.com has uh, separate entries for Jungle Hunt and Jungle King, and Galloping Ghost is listed on both of them. I, really? I wonder if I wonder if that's a mistake. Could be. I, I wonder if that's a mistake because because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. They must have just put that under the wrong track or something. Okay. So yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. I my problem with Jungle Hunt slash King, well Jungle King, really, because I still haven't played an arcade Jungle Hunt. Is I cannot rescue the girl in that final screen. I can't every time if every time I move, I get hit by something. I can get past the rock. I, fi- I found a pretty easy strategy to get past the rocks. Basically hmm. jump if the rocks don't bounce terribly high and duck if they do. Yeah. But man, with when you're over at that little thing where they're about to cook your girl, I, yes. I, I, I can never get past that. I can't.
0: The girl is hot, literally. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, let's that, continue
1: actually. with uh, Trek MD here. Number oh, two, yep. kangaroo. <laughs> this one I saw at timeout also back then, and it was my cousin who introduced me to it. She had played it several times already, and she showed me how the game went. I immediately got hooked. Yes, I know this game must have taken inspiration from Donkey Kong, but I thought it was different enough to enjoy. I got the 2600 version upon release, and despite the simplified graphics, played it a lot. I do remember looking at the 5200 feeling jealous because of how much better it looked, but it wasn't until many years later that I was finally able to play that version with a Wiko controller. My experience with the 2600 version did not help. Regardless, this is one I still
0: enjoy today. The 2600 version does play pretty good, but the I mean, if you're comparing it to the arcade game, but it suffers from all the same flaws as the arcade game, like the precision pinpoint timing of your jumps. But it's really not a very good-looking game.
1: Is it as angering as the arcade version?
0: Ah, uh, pretty much, yeah. yeah. And the thing I don't like about the twenty-six hundred version—it doesn't have the stack o monkeys screen where you gotta oh, punch yeah. the monkeys. Yeah, punching the monkey. Use that, Tim and Andy. Uh, number three, Dig Dug. This is a, this speaking is a,
1: of punching the monkey. This is another one that I played at timeout, and it has to be one of the games I spent most time with back then. The gameplay and the music are just excellent, and being able to crush the pukas and rygars with the rocks is just fun, though it can be challenging. It took me a few tries to figure out the game, but I even learned about the two rocks having to be dropped before the bonus items showed quickly. In the arcade I managed to get to level 10 most of the time, but not much further than that. This was an immediate purchase when released to the 2600 and I was very happy with the game. It really captured the gameplay well, and it even had a nice animated title screen. On that version, I managed to get well past level 10 also. I now have ports of the game for the 5200, XEGS, PSP, and PS4 that I enjoy. On the PSP, I really like playing the arranged version too. That's a really nice way to update a classic.
0: Yeah, back in the late 90s, early aughts, um, Namco released um, a couple of arcade machines. They had different versions of their some of their classics, uh, like Rally-X, Xevious, uh, Dig Dug. Um, I can't remember all of them, but there were two machines. Each of them had three games. You could play the original, or you could play what was called the arranged version, which had different uh, graphical audio and uh, gameplay enhancements to the basic game. I never really played those too much. I did play, uh, really, the Rally-X, Xevious, and the Dig Dug arranged at least a couple of times each, but always and for me, always ended up going back to the original because that's... It was just much more of a pure experience, I guess, if you will. But I should check those out again because I'm now I'm curious as to exactly what uh, the changes were on those. Now that I'm thinking about it, and it took me until just probably the
1: past couple of years to realize that the bonus item shows up when you drop two rocks.
0: And, I, I did not know that. <laughs> and the thing is, like it's when
1: worse. my yeah. when my brother had his uh, Atari sixty five XE, which you now own. I would play Dig Dug on that all the time, and I still never noticed. And I think that's my favorite home version of Dig Dug, by the way. That version of uh, Dig Dug that's uh, on the XE, oh man, it's way better than the other 8-bit version.
0: There were actually a couple of different versions for the uh, for the Atari uh, uh, 8-bit computers. There was the Atari version, and then uh, Datasoft had a version of it also, too. I'm trying to remember what they look like. I know I've played them both, but... The, the I, new- I, prefer the, I prefer the 7800 version myself. Oh, really? Yes.
1: You know, I, th- I think if I take the 7800 version and take the Datasoft sound, you'd have the best home version of it. The thing is, the 7800
0: sound for that particular game was not terrible.
1: It wasn't terrible, but it was kind of high-pitched for from what I'm used to. And I noticed that on the Atari home versions that they changed the tune that plays when uh, Dig Dug moves around. It's not exactly the same tune. Hmm. Like if you if you compare the two, the arcade version to the home versions, they only the first couple of measures are the same. Hmm. But
0: anyway, I'd I'd have to listen to him again.
1: Number four, Eugenio uh, says, Pac-mania. I did not learn about Pac-mania until I saw the Genesis version a few years back when I got the console. Huh. I don't even think I've seen this one in the arcades either. So my experience comes from playing the Genesis version and from playing Jagmania on the Jaguar. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Neither did I. And, uh, let me, and he's going to tell us about that. The latter is a clone version that has similar gameplay, but it's not as advanced as the original game. So do I like Pac-Mania? I actually do. I enjoy the differences from the original Pac-Man game, the isometric view, the additional ghosts, and the variety in the mazes. Is it my go-to version of Pac-Man? No, but that doesn't keep me from enjoying it. I do hope to find an arcade machine of this game at some point, though. Uh, Trek MD, next time you're in the Chicago area, go to Galloping Ghost and or Underground Retrocade. They both have it.
0: I still think that the best maze in that one is the one with the Lego background. Oh, that, I, I love, love that, that. One. Yeah, that is so brilliant. So, I guess I should read the next uh, four entries. He's only got eight this time. So. Yeah. That's awesome. So, <clears throat> uh-oh, should we play the, the, the thing again? What thing? <clears throat> Robotron 2084. This week in Robotron. Okay. We got a two for tonight. My first experience with Robotron was at timeout at the local mall. I thought the game was cool, but a bit hard to play, and so I did not play it often. Using the dual joystick control was something unique, but it wasn't intuitive for me at the time. It wasn't until I got my 7800 that I really started to get more into the game, even though I played it using only one controller. I didn't know you could use two joysticks at the same time with that version. I eventually got the 5200 version and the controller coupler and really enjoyed using the dual sticks to play, so I was very eager to find a way to play the 7800 version with the two joysticks. I tried a few things, but nothing really worked well. It wasn't until this year that I got a 3D-printed coupler for the 7800 Painline Controllers, which gave me a chance to experience that version of the game the way it was meant to be played. If you're curious about these, check them out at uh, Etsy, and he's got a link here. We'll put that in the show notes. And I really want one of these, too. They look slick, but the problem is I'll have to rebuild or get new Painline Controllers, but uh, there you go. But uh, The other version of Robotron I played is the Lynx port, which is quite fun. I also have to mention the sequel to Robotron on the 7800 that also uses, oh, SQL was in quotes, that also uses dual joysticks, time salvo, uh, uh, or TME salvo, T colon it's, ME it's, salvo. Pronounced, it's pronounced time salvo. It is, okay. Yeah. I get
1: it, it's a visual pun. Yeah, it's a visual pun, but yeah, if you have the
0: Atari Vox plugged in, it actually says time salvo when okay. you boot it up. Uh, I, but yeah, I just realized, that's I just now realized that's a visual pun. Yep. It, and that's, that's actually quite funny now that I realize that. Um, I have to – well, I'm just going to read lessons here. I haven't tried it yet with the dual joysticks, but I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I actually did time salvo with dual joysticks, the uh, the homemade uh, coupler that I did here made out of uh, lumber. And uh, time salvo really is fun with, oh, yeah. uh, with, uh, with, two, uh, with two joysticks. Oh, um, you want to you have
1: some interesting fun with that? Huh. Plug in two joysticks and in the right controller port instead of having the joystick plug directly into it plug it into a splitter and share it with the uh, Atari Vox you get some really interesting results really yeah because it's not it because at least 7800 basic which is what the game was made with doesn't know I don't know if it's that or the hardware that doesn't know how to address shared ports like that
0: and I believe you had that on the Time Salo episode of the 7800 Homebrew podcast. I might have. I don't, I don't remember. I have a video of it on the uh, And I, and I also have to say, because uh, this brings up a, a uh, something I forgot to mention about the little shindig you had over at uh, your uh, place over this last weekend. We played 5200 Gremlins, which was converted to run on the Atari 8-bit computer. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, because they have, uh, they've ported, somebody's uh, converted you know, pretty much all the 5200 exclusives uh, to be, to run on the Atari 8-bit computers. The game Gremlins for the 5200 slash 8-bit, really fun game. It plays extremely well, and it is based on the Robotron engine for the 5200 from what I understand. Hmm. And um, if you've never played that one, check it out. It's really, it's really cool. You have to uh, – the object of the game is to collect all the Mogwai and put them in the cage before morning. Uh, but in the meantime, you have to deal with the gremlins. Uh, you have to kill them with your sword. Uh, you have different various weapons at your disposal. You can also uh, turn a TV on to distract them. Um, they will try to get to the cage to let the other mogwai out. And, of course, it's got the also the food and the uh, the water on the screen. I think everybody remembers the rules for gremlins about about that. Don't feed them after midnight. Don't get them wet. Getting them wet makes them multiply. Feeding them turns, makes the mogwai turn into gremlins. And then, of course... When you're they're exposed to sunlight, they die. So, um, so yeah, that's a, that's a fun game. If you've never played that, check it out. It is really fun. Uh, I, that's a game I would actually like to own for the 5200. It did get a physical release, but at the end of the 5200's lifespan, unfortunately. So, continuing on with Eugenio's email. Unless you have something to add. Nope. Nope. All right. Defender. Okay, I definitely saw Defender at timeout, and I really wanted to play it, but the massive buttons on the arcade cabinet had me freaking out. I saw several play- people play it to get a sense of how it worked, and after a while I decided to put a quarter in and, in the machine. I think that quarter lasted less than a minute. Despite that, I tried a few more times because the game was cool. Unfortunately, my skill at the arcade was, version was lacking, so when the game was ported to the 2600, I jumped at it. I figured the game would be much easier to handle with just a joystick and a button, and it sure was. Yes, it was different than the arcade, but the basic gameplay was there and I could control the ship. Many hours were spent with this game, but I, I gave it up when Stargate slash Defender 2 was released for the 2600. That one was an awesome port, and the hack Bob T. Crescenzo made of it to turn it into Defender Arcade is just awesome. I didn't realize he did that hack. Huh. He's talking about the 2600 Stargate 2, which was hacked into Defender Arcade, which really was should have been pretty easy because you weren't adding anything. You were taking things away. Um, uh, if you guys haven't tried it, you should. The other version of Defender I love to play is the 5200 port. Atari did really did a superb job with that one, and it works well with the 5200 joysticks. For me, this is the most arcade-accurate home version. I do love the 5200-slash-Atari 8-bit uh, Defender. Uh, Eugenio, uh... Somewhere on the Pi Factory page um, on Facebook, we have a picture of Defender's creator, Eugene Jarvis, playing Defender. Oh, yes. And his game didn't last more than a couple of minutes. And um, you, there's a picture of his reaction when he lost his last last life. Literally, I think his game could not have been two, maybe three minutes tops. So you're in good company if the creator can't play the game then you're definitely in Man, good
1: company. <laughs> that was the best time picture ever. I, I, I oh, got to say. Oh gosh, it was.
0: I wanted to get a picture of him while he was playing it, but he lost his last life <laughs> when, I, yeah. when, when, I, when the, the picture took. And I'm like, you, you couldn't have gotten a better. You're right. You couldn't have gotten a it, better. It's kind of
1: like when I got a picture of Jeff Lee playing Hubert, except he was actually in the middle of the game. So ah. And of course, there I you. love reading that article about uh, oh, what was her name, Susie, I think, who ran in our uh, kind of like I guess an early version of a beer up in uh, Rogers Park, not too far oh, from me. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Back in the '80s, and she actually came close to throwing Eugene Jarvis out because oh, our, he, yeah, because he was he came close to destroying their defender machine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's awesome. I, in
1: fact, she might have actually kicked him out. I don't remember for sure though.
0: Yeah. Next one. That was Satan's awesome. Hollow. My first experience playing Satan's Hollow, hollow yes. wasn't until I got an Atari 5200 and I found the game as an 8-bit conversion for the console. At first, it just seemed like any other shooter in the style of Galaxian or Phoenix, but much to my surprise, the game wasn't quite like that, given that you have to build the bridge to get to the actual Satan's Hollow to defeat the big bad himself. Though the game really wasn't easy, I did enjoy it very much and I still love to play it. I did finally have a chance to play the arcade game last year at Free Play Florida. I'm glad I did try it out, but boy, is it even harder than the 8-bit 5200 port. Fun nonetheless. Um, I've played the 8-bit slash 5200 port, and um, graphically, it's not much. Um, I mean, obviously, it's not doesn't have the power of the arcade version. Uh, but the video isn't choppy like some Atari 8-bit games, and, it's, uh, and it maintains the play. And, and actually, I don't think Satan, Satan's Hollow was released. I think that was a prototype. Uh, I know CBS had the part number for it for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, which was never released. And I don't know if programming was started on it. And Coleco also had a uh, part number for it for the ColecoVision, but again, never released. Don't know if it was even started. So uh, there is that. I still love that game. I I just I just absolutely just love the red handled joystick on the on the full uh, the full size satan's hollow machine the translucent 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 red joystick is just awesome and as much as i love the looks of the tron cabinet which has got the translucent blue joystick I love the Satan's Hollow joystick more because the red is just so awesome. I still wish I could find the picture of the Pope playing the Satan's Hollow machine. <laughs> I'm, now I'm wondering if that was actually a real picture or if that was just somebody doing crude Photoshop back that then. That must have been a Photoshop. Kind That's of what thing. I'm thinking. But um, yeah, you know, like yeah. Satan's Hollow. So anyway, finally, um, Tron. I remember watching Tron in the theaters when it was released and thinking how cool it was. I really liked the idea that there could be a world within computers and how cool things looked. That look was made even better with Tron Legacy years later. Shortly after the movie was out, I saw the Tron arcade machine at time and out, and I flipped. I had to play that game. I was surprised to see there was actually four games in one, but in my quarters went. My quarters did not last long. It was not easy learning the game at first. I kept hoping to see a home port of the game, but that never happened back then. Mattel had Tron games for the 2600 and the Intellivision, but they weren't from the arcade. I never got the twenty-six hundred Tron games, though. Years later, I got the Intellivision games, and I enjoyed them despite being unrelated to the arcade. I've always wanted to play the arcade version of the game at home, and though now, and though home, though, and now I can. I did not know that Tron 2.0 for the Game Boy Advance included the arcade game, and so now I have purchased it. I've not received it yet, but I plan to enjoy it using my GameCube with the Game Boy Advance adapter. Thanks for sharing that during the podcast. You're quite welcome.
1: You're you guys also welcome. mentioned
0: the 2600 Tron joystick. I did get one of those several years ago from eBay as new old stock. It's a cool-looking controller that you can spin storage cable in the base. Oh, oh, I did not know that. Okay. By the way, today, if I want to play the Tron arcade machine, I can go to Arcade Odyssey here in Miami. Ever since I saw they had it there, I've gone back several times just to play this game. I've awesome. that particular machine quite a few tokens. End of line. Well, that's all for now, guys. Going to the final frontier, gaming, Eugenio.
1: You know, I do have a, a comment I have to make there Uh that Eugenio's like parting words about uh, Arcade Odyssey in Miami. Uh, we had encouraged people before, like if you're if there's an arcade near you or maybe not near you that you like to visit, please like let us know about it. Send an audio submission or yeah. email us or something like like let's give you know, we're talking about Pixel Blast and Underground Retrocade and Galloping Ghost all the time because that's what we know. But we want to hear about the places you all know, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Send us uh, send us reports on your local arcades, the one that you go to most often. We'd be happy to play uh, any sort of reports you have uh, from your arcade for us. We'd be happy to read them. And, uh, yeah, because Sean and I are blessed to live near what we consider the, the center of the arcade gaming industry in the U.S. Uh, we've explained before that, yeah, they had a few companies out in in California and with Atari yeah. and Sega based out there you could make an argument that that was important but we had like we had a lot more out here and you don't really we never really realized it until we started counting who had their offices here mm. and uh, so we're blessed to live in this area but yeah my my
1: observation is that basically there all the arcade hotspots were Chicago area
0: California and Japan yeah pretty much yeah like I said, we're blessed to live here because we were in the the center of where all that was happening here in the United States. But we know that there are other more awesome arcades out there in the country. We want to hear about them all. So send us audio submissions, send us emails, send us postcards even, you know, that would would be awesome to get a postcard from an arcade from around the country. And if anybody is at the uh, Arcadia Retrocade, I think it's called uh, where Vic Sage from? It's uh, a podcast. Diary uh, of, an Ar- of an Arcade Employee. Arcade employee. Uh, we'd love to hear about that place too. In fact, I might reach out to Vic to see if he wants to do a, a thing because he actually works yeah. there. So, yeah, you, you know what? I'm going to reach out to him and see if he'd be willing to submit something. Yeah, reach out. He'll be there again. Thank you, Eugenio, for your email, and uh, I actually responded to his email. Yay! We get to use this week in Robotron again.
1: Yep. <laughs> knew- yeah, we haven't. We haven't uh, had a reason to to use that in a long time
0: no i think we did use it in the last episode but yeah we had oh you know it was like two episodes ago i think okay oh i'm thinking of uh watch out for snakes which you actually did use in the 7800 podcast by the way yep yeah i'm not gonna tell people where you're gonna have to listen to it that's right yep so (laughs) again thank you you keep those emails coming thank you all right for your electronic i was wondering when that was
1: gonna come up yep um, anyway, um, I need to do something right now. <sighs> Poopy? No, I actually oh. did that before we started, uh, TMI. Um, <laughs> I need to do something different here. Something uh, Let's different. see, what do I need to do? Oh, here we go. Live video. Oh, this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let me see, uh, change them. I'm going to use I'm gonna actually the. actually use a lovely beverage. All right, I guess I'm live. Hello, everybody, in, uh facebook land um you see i have I a heating pad on it's because i have a sore shoulder right now actually it feels a lot better now I it's because it. sean is hot yeah and actually because i'm hot i don't need a heating pad kind of like how you don't need a hot water heater because you don't need to heat need hot eating. water you know? you don't need an atm machine yeah you don't put your pin number in atm machine to get cash money so anyway what i have here is a bottle of lester's fixin's Buffalo wing soda. Uh, this is going to be my first time trying it right now. And just in case it tastes disgusting, I have some Sprite in this bottle right here that used to have lemonade in it. Uh, why is it bright red? Well, because there's also about a teaspoon of cranberry juice in here from it's the leftover cranberry juice from uh, Trader Joe's that I couldn't stand. And my wife said, well, I don't think you're supposed to drink that stuff straight up. You really should mix it with something. I was like, Oh, okay. So, uh thing is, you've put more than one teaspoon of that stuff in anything. It's going to be nothing but cranberry juice. So, oh, well, um, let's see. I'm going to open this sucker here. Oh, crap. Oh, there we go. Ah, bottle cap wouldn't come off.
0: Nah, your video's going all funky. Good.
1: Good. I like funky video. Funky video. VCF Midwest. I that's a good question. Oh, Steve. that's the I don't,
0: vintage computer festival. I oh, forgot is that what about that, is? that. Okay. I've been wanting to go to that thing. I keep forgetting what is it the, is. Is that
1: what they have in Dayton? That's Computer Fest. That's different. Oh, okay. But anyway, this stuff actually smells like an
0: orange soda, like Crush or uh, SunKist or something. I typed in VCF Chicago hmm. in Google, looking for it. Um, the first thing that came up was Value City Furniture. Hmm. <laughs> It is September 13th,
1: my birthday weekend. You know, this stuff isn't bad, but it's not good either. It's hardly... I, I can't really taste much of this stuff at all. I really can't.
0: I think it tasted a lot like a very, very strong ginger ale. I rather enjoyed it. See, this doesn't taste strong to me at all. That's the Lexer's Fixin' Buffalo wing, right? Yep. Yeah.
1: Lexer's Fixin'
0: me. I rather enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I rather betty- than I enjoy it, too, but... But then again you enjoyed the uh the sweet corn one. Oh, yeah. and Oh, I I hated love that the one. sweet
1: corn soda. Mm. Elk Grove Village. That's where um Harry Smirlerf was, right? Smirler Ford? Elk Grove Village? You're singing Ford
0: dealer. We should post a link to one of his <laughs> Yeah, Schmerler's we should videos. We should. <laughs> commercials. I loved his commercials man. They were awesome. Man. Oh, actually that's the Oh, I'm sorry, 13. It's Vintage Computer Festival Midwest number 13. It is September fifteenth and the sixteenth, which is ah, well, my birthday is four or five days before that. Still, no, it's but my it's, wedding anniversary weekend, kind of. Oh. So uh, probably not going to be. Yeah,
1: Lester's go- fixins' buffalo wing. Nah, I'd give it a thumbs down. It's just boring, quite frankly, boring. So uh, I'm going to cut the live video now, but it'll Bye. be up for all to see. So um, going back to episode record land.
0: Oh, the Vintage Computer Festival starts at 9 a.m. on Saturday and goes to midnight and then reopens at 9 a.m. Sunday. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, right, one wow. more thing
1: I wanted to to uh, bring up here is uh, some of you may have heard of the Extra Life Marathon that happens every year. It's usually November. Well, it's still November. I think November 3rd is the actual designated game day. And uh, those of you not familiar with it, Extra Life is basically a fundraiser for children's hospitals. And uh, so I actually signed up for it for this year, and they gave me a list of hospitals to pick from. And I saw that Lurie Children's Hospital was one of them, so I chose that one. Uh, That's here in Chicago. It's uh, part of Northwestern's hospital system, I believe. And um, so I'm going to be raising money for Lurie Children's Hospital Uh, I will post a link to the donation page in the show notes, and I want to publicly thank Sean Holly for his kind donation. And um, so yeah, November 3rd, basically the idea is that you play video games for 24 hours. You can do it all at once if you want. You can do it in little pieces if you want. I'm not going to do it all at once, but I am planning to spend the entire day at Underground Retrocade from open to close, minus a lunch break or supper break, whatever, and necessary visits to the Tinkle Pit, of course. Of course. So that's, I, I'm estimating that's going to be 13 hours right there, and I'll do the other 24 the day before and the day after. And uh, I can't believe it, but my wife actually approves of this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, She's always been supportive of my interests, so I, I guess I should believe it. But she did tell me that there's one condition that I have to meet. And it's that I have to play the Give My Regards to Broad Street video game. Really? There was a yeah. video game? Yeah. we. I didn't know about it, but I was at uh, Lori's Planet of Sound, which is a record store not too far from where I live. It's maybe just a couple of miles away. I go there a lot. And uh, those of you who are friends with me on Facebook, you're going to see a weekly feature that I'm going to post called Weird Record Wednesday, in which I post a picture of strange records that have gotten from there and uh talk about them and stuff but uh the thing about uh, that is when one time when my wife and i were at laurie's planet of sound we were just chatting with uh, the woman behind the counter and she mentioned the give my regards to broad street video game and i and i said wait there was a video game from that and she said yeah so it was like an atari or something and i was like really so i did some research and it was actually out on I think two different computers and the Commodore 64 is one of them.
0: ZX Spectrum is the other.
1: That was my guess yeah so hey I, I should have guessed
0: but and uh, yeah, so a few I- years ago actually in 20 in uh, June 4th 2013 Kotaku Kotaku did uh, did a video of the game actually yeah. interesting I'll have to watch that later. Yeah, so um, I already, uh,
1: and she did tell me that emulation counts. I don't have to, like, go through hell and high water to find a real version for Commodore 64. But thing is, I want to play it on my
0: Commodore 64 just because. So, yeah, I'll definitely include that. I love this little blurb on the Kotaku article. It's just basically a, just a blurb to introduce the video. Sir Paul McCartney had a video game, and it's pretty awful, but it's also fascinating. In the video above, I talk about, give my regards to Broad Street, a game by Argus Press Software for the Commodore 64 and ZX Spectrum, based on an equally terrible movie of the same name. I talk about why it's a depressing, confusing game, and what we can learn from it, other than, God help us if Yoko ever decides to make a game.
1: (laughs) No, seriously, if Yoko made a game, it would probably be very fascinating. (laughs)
0: <laughs> i don't know i don't know much about that situation but it's still uh- oh, true
1: story some uh my previous laptop my original macbook that i got in 2007 i had a still pissed at yoko bumper sticker on the lid of it i personally have nothing against yoko ono i just thought it was a funny thought and i was i worked part-time for a test prep company uh i think i mentioned before but uh There was one time, probably about five years ago, I was tutoring a GRE student. She was looking to go into uh, grad school for uh, museum anthropology, and she saw the sticker on my laptop. She said, what do you have against Yoko? She's my favorite performance artist. (laughs) And she knew nothing about her Beatles association,
0: (laughs) (laughs) which I think is the best way to be introduced to Yoko Ono. I have to say here uh, real quick, um, just looking into Vintage Computer Festival, it's September 15th and 16th, as I said, in Elk Grove Village, in Illinois, and uh, near where I believe uh, Konami had their uh, U.S. headquarters. It's uh, a free event. Ooh. However, they are taking donations because they moved to a larger facility, and uh, they need to raise at least $2,800. It looks like they're halfway there. So.
1: Well, speaking uh, of free events... Uh- We we started making moves toward getting our space at Midwest Gaming Classic, which is not free at all for you or for us. Yeah, but uh, I'm already excited about that. So keep watching the skies skies for uh, details. But anyway, do we have any more?
0: I don't think so. Uh, Remember everybody to uh, donate to Sean's little little gaming thingy. So extra life. Extra I think Ferg's doing that, too, actually. Yeah, he's he, been he doing it every year. Yeah. So
1: give something to me or give something to Ferg or give something to both of us or give something to neither of us. Mm-hmm. I guess those are your all, all, every possible option. Uh, but hey.
0: Hey. Hey. All righty, then. So shall we uh, move on? Yeah, let's move on. And why don't we this week start with, why don't you know what? I'll, I'll let you choose the first game, but uh, the choice has to be Reactor.
1: Hmm, okay. Uh
0: um, the only reason is because i got to turn the fan on, and I have to mute my uh, microphone to do that. So. Ah, okay. Yeah, no air conditioning, folks. All right, but hey, speaking of Ferg, uh, normally if it's a
1: game that we think people have heard of, we I don't like to kind of say, here's how you play it, here's every single detail. But I recently heard Ferg talk about how he played the Arcade Reactor and he completely forgot what he was supposed to do. Which makes me think there might be other people in that same position. Especially because nowadays, the Arcade Reactor is not a common game. There are only three listings for it on arcade.com. So, um, I will uh, get into a little bit of detail about it. Well, first off, a little history behind Um, what's this game? Uh, uh, Reactor, yeah. Reactor was released in July of 1982 by Gottlieb, and it was designed and programmed by Tim Skelly. And I think he was an independent contractor. I don't think he was a uh, direct employee of Gottlieb. I might be incorrect about that. But there was something unique about Tim Skelly's work with Reactor. What is unique is that I believe Reactor was the first ever arcade game to actually credit the designer before then designers didn't get credit for any video games mainly because their employers were afraid that the designers would be poached by other companies
0: that's interesting i was just reading something earlier in the year where they actually found an easter egg in an early i think atari game i can't think of which one it was off the top of my head but uh if you did the sequence or whatever it was correctly it would display the names of the of the programmers well, we know that adventure was like that. Well, I know adventure was like that, but this was a in an arcade game that they literally only just discovered this easter egg this year. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. But yeah, in fact, he's
1: kind of credited during the attract mode because one of the various displays in the attract mode says a skelly game. I found that quite fascinating. The audio was done by David Thiel, or Teal. I'm not quite sure how it's... Geez, pre- you'd think I'd, I'd be able to ask Jeff Lee, but no. Uh, but he did the audio for other Gottlieb games as well. And uh, Reactor actually was first called Ram It during development, then it became Expander, but of course we know it was released as Reactor. Now in the game Reactor, you control a ship inside a nuclear reactor that's bordered by what is called a kill wall. Why is it called the Kill Wall? Because anything that touches the Kill Wall is destroyed, including your ship if you touch it. Your job is to make enemy particles ricochet into the Kill Wall, and every level you have a certain number of particles that you have to destroy like that. I believe the first level you have eight, the next level you have 16, I think, and then I think 20 and then 24, but it gradually increases
0: you know, with I have every say, level. Kill Wall sounds like a great name for a slasher film. Oh, I totally agree with that. Yes. I'm going to have to get on writing that.
1: So you're in this reactor and in the middle of the reactor, there's a core that continually gets hotter and the hotter the core gets, the larger it gets. And uh, when it gets larger, of course, that means there's less room for you to move around. And it's a little bit harder for you to move around without touching the kill wall. There are three different ways you can cool the core and make it shrink back down to its original size. One way is that uh, inside the core, along the wall on the upper left and lower right, there is a certain number of control rods. You start off with three per wall, I believe, and then you get four and then five as levels progress. And if you bump an enemy particle into the control rods, all of the control rods on one of the walls, the core will cool off and shrink back down. So that's one way to shrink the core. Another way to shrink the core is, of course, finish the level. Because the next level, the core resets at its original size. A third way you can shrink the core is, well, to lose a life. Because when you start a new ship, the core shrinks back to its original size. And there was much rejoicing. Yay. Yay, Verily. You are also given three decoys. What a decoy is, it's a little marker that looks like your ship. There is a decoy, bu- actually, there are two decoy buttons on the control panel. And when you hit a decoy button, a decoy appears wherever your ship is and it attracts all the enemy particles to it. You're only allowed one decoy at a time on the screen, and you can earn more decoys by destroying all of the control rods in the reactor on both sides the upper left and the lower right. And since, hey, I talked about the two decoy buttons, might as well talk about the control panel in the game. The control panel contains a ambidextrous trackball. It's a small trackball, actually. Probably the size of a centipede trackball, maybe even smaller. It's a
0: small ball. And
1: on either side of the trackball, you have two buttons. The two inner buttons are the decoy buttons, and the two outer buttons are the energy buttons. And what the energy buttons do is basically increase the force that your ship has and it's very handy to use when you're trying to knock a particle into the wall the only problem is it makes your ship extra sensitive so once when you bump into a particle your ship also bumps the opposite direction
0: basically it's uh it's physics
1: yeah equal and opposite reactions this yep. is not video game physics but That's it's real physics. physics yep when you use an energy button those physics are amplified pretty significantly so you got to be really careful I always tap the energy button constantly just to make sure that I can easily oh, yeah. knock knock those particles in.
0: <laughs> Control be damned. I wanted yep. to kill those particles. And also
1: in the reactor, in the lower left and upper right corners are bonus chambers. They're like, kind of like little inlets, I guess, or outlets, if you They're will. They're little rooms. with They're the little, little rooms, opening. yeah. And if enemy particles go into those rooms, they will bounce off the walls. And every time an enemy particle bounces off a wall in there, you get an extra 15 bonus points. Well, that's the default setting. You can all, you can uh, adjust the dip switch to uh, give you only 10 bonus points for every bonus wall touch. And I never really noticed this about Reactor until we actually decided on this game for this episode. But when a particle or more particles goes into a bonus chamber... After they're either destroyed or they bounce out, the bonus chamber temporarily closes up. Yes, I have noticed that. I never noticed that before. I learned something new. By the way, kind of like going on—I'm uh, sorry to backtrack about this, but uh, no, you're not. Going back to the decoy, though, uh-huh. a, a very common strategy that people use is to go into the bonus chamber and set a decoy there. I personally don't do that because it's very, very dangerous in there. You don't have much room to enter the room. Mm-hmm. And if you
0: get hit by a particle in there, you're not going to survive. Now, I I do put a decoy near the entrance to the bonus room, and it, I think it works almost as good. Hmm, that's a thought. Uh, but I generally save my decoys uh, to put them near the control rods. Yeah, which which is the other
1: strategy people tend to use, like put set a decoy next to the control rods. Personally, I'm very stingy with my decoys because after you cycle through all the enemy particles, which I'll talk about in a minute, the reactor core changes. The way it is in the beginning of the game is there's kind of a I don't like a to, boundary. Like, like yeah, a, a force there's field. A bound, force field. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. That's safe for you to touch. And my typical habit is to constantly move my ship toward that force field just so that I don't bounce into a wall. Mm-hmm. After you cycle through the different particles, I think it's, what, eight or nine levels, maybe? I think eights. And uh, th- once you cycle through all those, the core no longer has a border, and it it's... actually tries to suck you in.
0: And according to one of the home versions of this game, it's called The Vortex. It actually kind of looks like a uh, Black Hole from the movie The Black Hole. I believe
1: the arcade manual also calls it a vortex. I did not look at the arcade yeah. manual for that one. I will actually do that you should rtfm there boy howdy but yeah and uh so i save my decoys for use on the vortex screens just so i can just try to get those suckers those particles over to the wall as soon as i can finish the level before that vortex grows because man i actually i don't i think i've maybe survived one vortex level maybe maybe but um anywho as for the particles there are several different particles there are photons, which are kind of swirly little things. Uh, they, you destroy those, you don't get any points, but you kind of have to anyway. Next, there are positrons, which, if you remember your chemistry correctly, or is it physics? Considered, I don't. Remember. I remember that term from one of my classes, whether it's physics or chemistry. I think it. I think it's like a, basically a positively charged neutron or a positively charged electron. If you can follow. I don't know. I'm sure people who know this better. Will tell me. But those are worth 50 points. There are pions, which are... They look kind of like positrons, except they're a little bit rounder. Uh, they give you 75 points. Neutrinos are worth 100 points. Nucleons are 200 points. And leptons, which I believe is really a kind of a huddle of nucleons, those are worth 400 points for you to destroy them. And um, every time you collide with a particle, you get a point. And there's an end-of-game bonus as well. If you have any decoys left at the end of the game, you get a 500-point bonus for each leftover decoy that you haven't used. And the big question I have is if you lose your last life, but you have enough decoys left over to roll your score into the next 15,000 and ergo give you a bonus life, do you get another life? I personally don't know. I haven't been able to figure it out. <laughs> did i is there any like important detail about the game itself that i didn't mention not that i can recall you there is, pretty there much. is one thing that i never really knew before until i played played this in mame hmm. um because my arcade machine doesn't work <clears throat> uh there's voice synthesis in reactor
0: you know what i was playing this in Mame because i do own the arcade machine uh just last night actually and um I had never noticed the voice in this before because all the other sound effects in this game are so loud and yeah and um, crunching, I guess that uh, it's really hard to hear. But apparently there is voice in this game. And in fact, the control ma- manual actually tells you what it says. Oh, what does it
1: say? What does yeah. it say when it count? Because the voice counts down like how many particles that are left. Well, for, here's- for every eight that you have left, those are like twenty four. <laughs> Here's I can't what understand says. 24 what? It sounds like twenty-four what? Sixteen what?
0: Eight what? Okay, here's here's what it says. When the uh the core changes to the vortex, it says warning core unstable. It hmm. says two thousand after two thousand bonuses accumulated, five thousand after five thousand bonuses accumulated, ten thousand after ten thousand bonuses accumulated, fifteen thousand to fifty five thousand, every five thousand increment is spoken through fifty five thousand points. Hmm. And then it says, like, 8 to go, 16 to go, 24 to go, 32 to go, 40 to go. And when a particle enters a bonus chamber for the first time, it says, activate chamber.
1: Chamber activated.
0: I don't know. I'm, I'm questioning that
1: to go thing because it doesn't sound like that. 16 left. And the thing is, like, I want to, this is something I wanted to address. The sounds in Reactor... Are very familiar if you've played a lot of Q-Bert. They're not necessarily the same sound, but they're kind of they're they, they're
0: very very similar. Yeah, uh, including I the voice. The, the
1: voice sounds like a slowed down q Yeah,
0: I guess I can see that. The uh, when you drop the coin in the slot, it definitely sounds like Cubert. Uh, Some of the sound effects sound like crawl. Uh, actually, I thought which was a Gottlieb game, wasn't which it? Which was also Gottlieb, yes. yeah. So it's all it's all similar hardware, I would say. at the very least, uh, similar or same audio designers. Sure. And as long as we're on the topic of audio, there we go, Uh, in the, in the attract mode, and actually in the game itself, this game has got some of the most amazing music of yes. any arcade game I've ever heard. I love it. And I guess I'm going to spoil this here, too. There was only ever one port of this game, and that was to the Atari 2600. And the 2600 did a very decent enough job of trying to recreate that. It wasn't as good, but it was the basics, I guess. But they did a decent enough job. But this is one game where... Well, I guess I'm going to spoil something else here. First time I ever played it was at the Putt-Putt Golfing Games in Joliet, Illinois. In fact, that's the only arcade I ever played it in until Galloping Ghost got it. Putt-Putt had this right near the front door. And you can always hear it right when you walk in with its uh, with its music and uh, we need to play the whole theme song here because that's just it's just amazing And what would happen, you would go by the machine, and if it wasn't playing the music, if you hit a button, it would go right into the theme song on the machine in a track mode.
1: Well, yeah, because the thing is, during the attract mode, if you hit a button, it'll give you a tutorial.
0: Yeah, and (laughs) I would just do it just to play the music because the music was awesome. I never played this game the first 20, 30 times I went to Putt-Putt because it just didn't look fun. But then I was like, you know what? This is by uh, by the front entrance. I might as well give it a go. And I played it, and I'm like, this is a decent enough game but it wasn't one that i kept going back to and all that but uh if, if the music does not attract you to this game you, there, there's something wrong with you yeah just an amazing soundtrack
1: for this game it is really cool which is which was kind of a downer because when i was at galloping ghost there were no sounds at all really yeah i i don't know if the, vol- if the volume needed adjustment or if there's just a a bad sound chip or what but uh
0: i mean i did make a comment about um their gyrus machine uh at one time and they were saying that it was, that was actually turned up all of course the way. i forgot
1: to mention it to anybody there yeah well i th- i have to send pete Hahn a uh message so i'll 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 be sure to, to let him know about that but because they they will i have actually seen people on more than one occasion like drop everything to fix something if you point out something was wrong
0: Actually, I did talk to Pete uh, about the gyrus machine last time I tried it. This was a, like a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. And uh, he did say that he had other people talking about it, and it was indeed all the way up. It was just where it was located in the, uh, oh, the right. noise level yeah. in the room, too. That's always a thing at Galloping Ghost. Really, it's a thing at any arcade for the most part. I mean, just the ambient noise. But Reactor is a game you want to have turned up all the way. You want to have this up not just to 11, but to 12. Yeah.
1: I mean, and the other thing is the sounds are configurable and the dip switches. So you just better hope that the arcade owner doesn't turn the dip switch off for the sounds. That'd be kind of actually, I think that I don't think that'd be a wise idea to turn it off because the whole reason
0: for attract mode is to attract people. Oh, and I got to say about the cabinet for this game, the uh, up where it says has the marquee where it says reactor, it's where it says reactor is just like a smaller like piece of plastic, but it's got two booming speakers right next oh, to where yeah, it says yeah. Reactor. It actually looks like a boombox. Kind of like the Arcade Game 720 by Atari, I never actually. thought of that. So, yeah, it was awesome.
1: That is, that is pretty cool. And one thing I do have to mention, there are a couple of things about the Arcade Reactor that really throw me off. One of them is that the trackball is very sensitive. I think you can adjust the sensitivity of it in the service mode or something, but man... It is hypersensitive, (laughs) so you got to be really careful. And uh, what was the other thing? Oh yeah, I think it's the second wave, the second round, second level, second wave, second round, second whatever. That's when I tend to lose my first life Uh because the the enemy particles are like bright blue, almost the color of your ship, and that always throws me off.
0: Mm -hmm. I generally lose my lives. uh, I generally lose my lives frequently and fast. But I still like this game, though. And uh, I first saw... the I don't know where I first saw the game, but I can tell you this
1: much. I knew of the Parker Brothers Atari 2600 version long before I knew it was an arcade game. But I don't know where I first saw the Reactor arcade game, but I know where I first played it. I first played it at Midwest Gaming Classic in 2017. Mm -hmm. And I remember I just... My, I did not. I only lasted seconds, but I kept playing and playing and playing because of those sounds. But is it possible I might have played it before then? Maybe, but it was definitely after the crash. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I said, it was a putt putt for me, and um, and I'm trying to remember if I had seen which I'd seen first, the uh, 2600 version by Parker Brothers. Or the arcade one first. I want to think I saw the arcade first. Because I remember, in and, and Reactor, I, I can't remember where I mentioned it recently. But uh, I was uh, mentioning uh, Kroll was a game that I bought for the Atari 2600. Uh, mainly because it, I just saw it sitting on the shelf and just going down and down and down and down and down in price. And I f- bought it because I felt bad for the game and I ended up enjoying it. Reactor was the same reason. The huh. only reason I bought it is because I just kept seeing it on the shelf at Toys R Us and just nobody buying it. The prices keep going down and down and down. And I felt sorry for it. And I bought a copy and I was pleasantly surprised yep. actually. Um, uh, as you can, I'm well aware, I mean, the 2600 version doesn't have the, the slick audio visual of the arcade game. And it does a good
1: job of, uh, of the, recreating does, the music. It does though.
0: good. It doesn't have the, uh, the energy button because the 2600 only has uh, one uh, button on the joystick, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a decent version. Um, there's a one of the differences is that in the arcade, after you have a particle bounce around the bonus room and come out, it closes off the room. On the 2600 version, it flips the rooms from the bottom of the screen to the top and vice versa. Huh. and uh, while it it you can get the uh, the your your player into the bonus room, in, bonus chambers in the arcade game, you can do it also in the 2600, but it's a lot harder because there's a, a bit of a bounding box, I guess, issue with your your player. It's really hard to do, but it can be done. And there's an Easter egg in the 2600 version. Oh, do tell. Um, I don't remember how to do it, but uh, you can get the uh, programmer's uh, initials to come up. Uh, You know what? I'm going to Google that right now. That's probably an Atari age. Yeah, probably. Or the cutting room floor. Oh, it might be. We haven't actually uh, gone to that recently. Here we are. Let's go down the list. Let's go down the list. Okay. The decoy counter will turn into the initials CH for programmer Charlie Heath if you score 200,000 points or more. Oh, and here's what I was just saying uh, about the bonus rooms. The sprite collision detection for the side chamber openings is way off. You can actually move through the first block on the side of the opening closer to the center of the screen. It's also better to enter the exit chamber horizontally rather than vertically as there seems to be an area on the other side of the opening that will kill you if you touch it. And there, it says there are two versions, there are believed to be two versions of 2600 Reactor to exist, one that stops at 999,999 points, and the other one which rolls at that level. And this is off of uh, the Digital Press website, digitpress.com slash easter eggs slash 26reactor.htm. So, yeah. So that's interesting. Huh. So yeah, an Easter egg hidden in the reactor in the 2600. I'm wondering if there were any other Parker Brothers games that actually had Easter eggs. I don't think so. Hmm. So anyway. So, so I just thought I'd add that. So, but, oh, hey thought, Sean, yeah. so what about hey, scores? What about scores? Oh, let's see. My high
1: score is 25,932. But huh. Other people, however, Orcade.com. Show and this is under factory defaults, which is three lives, extra life every 15,000 points, and 15 point bonus chamber. Arcade.com shows Matt Walters having the highest with 59,511, which he achieved on September 21st, 2017, at the Galloping Ghost Arcade.
0: Yeah, this is not
1: a high scoring game at all. Well, Ed Flores will have to disagree with you in the okay, same he settings, he scored 448,833. Wow.
0: Okay, well, I would he, love I, to he, see that. I guess he does have reason to disagree. Yeah, and oh, that was forget-
1: verified by a Twin Galaxies referee on January second, nineteen eighty three. I'll have you know.
0: You know what? I, I think in a, I think there is actually one thing you did forget to mention about this. I don't recall you uh, mentioning this, but after you uh, pass the the vortex levels, uh, the reactor comes back, but all of the walls are invisible. Oh, that's
1: right, yes, and
0: then it go after that, those levels, it goes back to the vortex, and I think from there on out it's always the vortex with invisible walls. uh-huh, yeah, so I just thought I'd throw that out there, and out there it was thrown, indeed, Jim says as he listens to the rain that just started, um, so um, I guess I have
1: nothing further to say other than on a scale of one to five continues, five being the most desirable. Uh, how would you rate
0: Reactor, Reactor? That is a good question. Why, thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give this a four. Ooh, well. The audio is just amazing, but it takes a while to get into the gameplay. And I think sometimes the control is a bit too touchy uh, for this to be a five. But hmm. uh, it's, it's easily a very, very solid four for me.
1: And I would have to totally agree, 100%. I also give it a four as well.
0: Now, if we were just judging on the audio, this would be a 12 or an 11. This game goes to an 11. (laughs) Well, that joke, yeah, actually it does get quite old. But uh, still, it's a fun game, so I'll give it a try. You might like it, you might not. The 2600 version of the game is actually a lot more divisive <laughs> amongst people. Oh, I really like it. Oh, but man. I really, like it myself. I've, I've actually a- gotten really good at that one. It's actually easier to escape the vortex in the 2600 oh, version yeah, yeah. than it is in the uh, arcade. And I noticed there's a point on, because the way it, it works on the 2600 is the, you can see the the reactor thing, but then it has the outline of the reactor. And when it comes to the vortex, it just takes the outline away, so the uh, you know the the visual that was inside the wall is the vortex now. Yeah. And I believe it's on the left side of the screen, at the very tip, very left tip of the the reactor. You can just keep pushing down against it, and you'll just keep staying in place. It's uh, easy to get out of the vortex in the twenty six hundred version. It's harder in the arcade, of course, but uh, I mean it can be done. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I I like the 2600 version, and if we were rating those, if we were rating the 2600 version, I'd probably give it a, a low 4, but it's still a 4 nonetheless. I'd still give it a 4 for sure. I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a bare-bones game. It doesn't look interesting, but it is hella fun to play.
1: Mm-hmm. Hella well, fun. One thing I, I do have to say, though, about the Vortex in the arcade version, that uh-huh. is a beautiful design.
0: It looks, as I think, I I believe I had mentioned, it looks almost to me like... The black hole from the Disney film The Black Hole. You did mention that, yes. Yes. And, and I think that's a pretty apt description. It looks more like a black hole, which that's, I guess, what a vortex is, or a black hole is, is a vortex, I guess. But. Yeah,
1: kind of. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, and by the way, in looking for this game on gaminghistory.com, I was looking up Reactor, and apparently there's a game sometime in the 2000s called Sex Reactor. Huh. Uh, no idea what oh. it is because there's no information on. It. Oh, it says a Coin Op Fortune Teller Machine by Mayoni Enterprises. You sure that's not arcadehistory.com? It's uh, I'm sorry, arcadehistory.com. Arcade-hyphen-history.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the website's called Gaming History, but it's Arcade History. So there you go. I guess there
1: I go. So anyway, um, why don't we talk about aliens? Yeah, because I don't. I'm want really to. excited about that game. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, let's talk about aliens. Huzzah, reactor! Huzzah, aliens! Yeah, I don't think we did the huzzah uh, for a y- Reactor. Y- yeah, hu- huzzah, huzzah, huzzah. Yes, it's a raster arcade game from Konami, circa 1990. It's a two-player simultaneous machine. Uh, the left player is Ellen Ripley, uh, uh, you know Sigourney Weaver from the movies, and the right player is Colonel Hicks, who was played by, I believe, it was Michael Bean in the movie, and. Um, each controller has two buttons, one for your, your regular weapon and one for your bombs. Now, each player has an energy bar with several tanks, and you start out with two lives by default, but that can be changed via the magic of dip switches. That should be a new sequence, the magic of dip switches. But anyway, the object of the game, well, the, the game actually kind of follows the plot of the movie fairly close. Uh, it does take some liberties, but it's a lot closer to the plot of the, uh, of the movie than, say, Terminator 2 was. Although, again, Alien does take some liberties as well. So basically it destroyed the aliens while trying to find and protect... while protecting the child, whose name was Newt in the movie. And that was actually only her nickname. I believe they did say her real name, but I don't remember what it is. It's mostly a run-and-gun type game, but... um uh, it, it's kind of interesting because a couple of them, it's like a run and gun where you got a gun and the aliens are coming after you, you know, from the left and the right and from above. And then after a while, you'll go into a sequence where you're actually going through the air ducts of the uh, of the colony, which was built on planet LV-426 for those who remember the movies. And in those sequences, you actually have the motion detector that was featured in the film, and it'll show you where the aliens are coming from, which is it's kind of nice. And then two sequences, you're on the, what do they call it? The armored personnel carrier, and those are in the third person perspective. In other words, the aliens are coming toward you, and you and your, you and uh, Colonel Hicks are trying to destroy the aliens as they try to board your personnel carrier. Uh, The second time through that, there are actually crates or whatever in your way, and you got to blast those. There's one sequence that's interesting. You're in an elevator, and aliens are coming on the elevator. And what happens is the elevator is held up by three cables. And if enough of the aliens bounce on the elevator, a cable will snap. And if all three of them snap, the elevator plummets to the, to the ground and uh, you lose a life, uh, which I thought was interesting, which kind of actually is a play on one of the scenes in the Terminator 2 arcade game where you're trying to defend the truck. This one, you're trying to defend the elevator. The only difference is if you have a life left, and the elevator plummets all the way to the bottom, you don't have to go through that sequence again. So it's a little bit easier than that, uh, than the original. Um, as I was saying, this game takes liberty with, uh, with some liberty with the, with the, with, yeah, maybe not so much the plot, but with the enemies. I mean, it has your classic aliens, and eventually you have to fight the queen alien as a boss. And uh, it does also have, after later in the game, you can get the power loader exoskeleton, in which to defeat the aliens with, which was which is kind of a neat touch. I mean it has the facehugger aliens, the queen aliens, the regular warrior aliens, whatever you call them. But then they added so many more different type of aliens. They added flying ones, one with multiple ones with multiple heads, ones that look like bugs, ones that look like bizarre things, I don't know. And the facehuggers, once they burrow themselves into the colonists on the planet, or in in the in the in the in well the colony turns them into zombies, which was, of course, not in the movie, and uh, which was kind of weird, I thought, but I guess there's only... (laughs) Zombies in video games, unless the game is about zombies, are the most cliched and hackneyed thing in video games ever. And even zombie video games are hackneyed and cliched these days because they use it as a way for you to be able to kill people without actually killing people. I don't do zombie things anyway, so... Well, it, it's hackneyed and cliche. I think this game could have done well without having the, the zombie people in there. But there you go, I guess. You have power-ups. You can get uh, super bombs for your bombs. Uh, or you can get a, a flamethrower, a three-way gun, or missiles for your uh, for your primary weapon. And uh, there were no ports of this game to any home consoles. Now, there was an oh, Aliens sad. game on the C64, but that was a completely original game uh, from Activision, which uh, I've tried playing. I uh, can't really play it. Talking about sequels about this game is kind of confusing because there were video games made about the sequels to the Alien movies. There was an Alien 3 arcade game called Alien 3 The Gun by Sega, which was... <sighs> talk about that for a second for those who have seen alien 3 knows that in that movie there were no guns in the game so how can you do alien 3 the gun when there were no guns in the in alien 3 the movie figure that out but uh, there was that game that of course there were games based on the alien versus predator movies there were games based on the alien versus predator comic books factors an alien versus predator arcade game which was basically a beat-em-up i think that was a capcom game and then, of course, there was the Alien versus Predator game on the Atari Jaguar. But while these were all based on the sequels to Aliens, on the movie sequels to Aliens, none of these were actually actual sequels to the Aliens game, the Aliens arcade game. Nor were they sequels to the C sixty four Aliens game. So there were games based on the on the movie sequels, but there were no games based on the Aliens arcade game. If you follow, but yeah, so that's kind of the game in a nutshell. It kind of reminds... I'm guessing the whole reason they made the Aliens arcade game is because if you remember when we were talking about Contra, I don't remember if we brought this up, but the enemies and the aliens in that game looked exactly like something from the Alien movies. I think somebody's gone on record stating that, that wasn't. they did get inspiration from that. I know that the Metroid games on the Nintendo home consoles were based on the Alien films, I don't remember if somebody said that about that, but if you look at the Contra games, they are so definitely inspired by the Alien movies. To me, this game plays like if Contra and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had a baby. Huh. I think they merged both of those concepts into this game, because it certainly feels like it. It, it definitely feels like a sequel to Contra, and I almost wonder if this, was, if this started out as a sequel to Contra, but then they got the Alien's license. I have nothing to back that up. That's one of Jim's little conspiracy theories and one of the only ones he believes in. <laughs> but uh, if you think about it, it really does make sense because there's a lot of... The Contra games and, and Aliens have a similar graphical aesthetic, if you will. And that's probably the only time you'll hear me say the word aesthetic, other than that time. So, I don't know. Take that for what it's worth. But that is my opinion. Plays like Contra meets Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I think. But that's just me. Okay. And uh, I think anybody would be able to see that. So that's pretty much – that's really pretty much the game. I mean, if you've seen the movies, you know the plots, uh, the plot of the game. Uh, First time I ever played it was at the Aladdin's castle at the Louis Joliet Mall. I think I know the first time you played that and that was just the other day at uh, Galloping Ghost. It was at Galloping Ghost. I know I've
1: seen that I've seen it at other places before probably oh, interesting probably bit of at the <laughs> uh, Castle at Louis Joliet Mall possibly that game place at Jefferson Square Mall in Joliet. But I
0: know I've seen it. It's just I never I just never had any reason to play it until now. Interesting bit of trivia about this game. Uh well obvious. first of all there are different um version there is a uh, there's a Japanese version of this game which has different uh, different changes but nothing that really seems to uh, jump out other than it removes the plot of rescuing Newt which was the subplot of the movie and uh, that you can actually get one ups in the uh, in Japanese version versus the American one uh, actually they, had, they did also remove several of the scenes as well. so there's that but here's an interesting bit of trivia. In the Simpsons arcade game in the Moe's Tavern sequence, there is an Aliens arcade machine. Ah. And if you watch the attract mode of the of the Aliens machine in the Simpsons game, a uh, Xenomorph, which is what the main alien is called, scares off a space mutant, which is a frequent enemy in uh, in the Simpsons cartoons. And if you keep watching the attract mode, the Xenomorph takes off a mask and it's revealed to be Marge who scared off the space mutant. Huh. <laughs> so, I thought that was uh that was fun. Oh, here's another interesting bit of trivia. And this is thanks to our friends at arcadehistory.com. This game is based upon the movie of the same name released Whoa. in 1986. Who would have thunk it? Holy schnorts. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and Michael Jackson used to own this game. It was his was sold at the official Michael Jackson auction on April 24th, 2009. Again, thanks to our friends at arcadehistory.com. So, why was the <laughs> that movie thing even in the trivia section everyone should know that i don't know uh. aliens was like one of the best known action movies of all time sigourney weaver had a well-deserved best actress nomination for her role in this take your hands off of her you bitch you got to get that from the movie that's a all, great scene i thought that was planet of the apes take your paws off me you damn dirty apes no it's different take oh. your hands off of her you bitch or something like that. Garrett, grab that f- hide. Grab that from the movie. Get away from her, you bitch. Bill Paxton had the greatest lines in this movie. I, I heard a rumor that he actually improvised a lot of his dialogue. Game over, man. Game over. It's a bug hunt. A bug hunt. <laughs> Stuff like that. I mean, this is such a classic movie. I remember that when it was playing at the theaters at the Louis Jolie Ball in 1986, me and my brother. Walked across the then cornfield, which was years later turned into retail developments, from our house to uh, the theater late at night just to see this movie. And we were not disappointed. This is one of my favorite movies from that year. This and The Fly. Both great films. So, yeah. So That's all I have to say about the Aliens Arcade Machine. There you go.
1: That's all I have to say too.
0: So, uh, I enjoyed your comment from your live stream of you playing this. Which I, when I saw that your live stream was only three minutes long, three and a half minutes long, I'm like, "Huh, interesting." I bet he doesn't like the game. Uh, Near the end of your video, you said, "I'm bored," so I can only guess what you're going to rate this one. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess your rating first, and then I'll give mine. Uh, I'm going to guess you're going to rate this no higher than a two. Go lower. Oh, you're rating this a one? Yeah. Oh, that because does not it is me so
1: freaking formulaic. From it is so of its
0: time. So, uh. I I have to say that the game really isn't that memorable. Unlike Reactor, which it's, it's, is the other game we talked about. This I mean, Reactor. Everybody any remembers other for the game audio. where
1: you're moving to the right and shooting things, and then there's a boss character. You've played this already.
0: Jeez. As I said earlier. This game is if Contra and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game were mashed together. It was similar action as of Contra with the slow pace and the graphics of Ninja Turtles, in my opinion. But I can't, I don't hate this game. But I don't really love it either. I liked it a lot more, you know, when it was way back back then, but now I'm playing it. And it's like, I I just really have a hard time getting into this one these days. But I am going to rate it a 3. I was actually toying with rating it a 4 earlier, but I had to keep thinking about this game. And then that's when it hit me, the thing about the Ninja Turtles Contra mashup. I'm like, yeah, this is really not that original of a game. No. And in fact, I think later arcade games did this sort of thing better, to be perfectly honest. So... It was just a cash-in. Like I said, I think it was originally supposed to be a Contra game, but they got the uh, Aliens license. That's my opinion. So, yeah, I'm rating this one a 3. You see, the way I see it is the Aliens
1: game, man, it's... Oh, I suddenly forgot what I was going to say. That's how boring it was.
0: Um, so far, the only game that we've really talked about based on a movie that we've... Or or really, any sort of license property that we really liked was... Um, Indiana Jones? Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And I guess you can could consider Moonwalker. That was technically based on a short film. So I think those are probably the best ones we've reviewed so far. I'm I'm actually surprised how much you how much you enjoyed Temple of Doom, but for a movie that really didn't seem like it had had that much in the way that you could do a ba- base a game on, Temple of Doom nailed it. But there was more you could do base base a game on with aliens, but aliens missed the mark. I think that's pretty ironic actually. Huh. Well, the way I see it, Aliens to me it felt like a chore, and I can see where you would think that. Yeah, it was—it's a slow-moving game. It's kind of plotting, and I'm actually at this point tempted to mark make mark my score down a, a notch. Very tempted to, but I'm not going to. <sighs> I mean, I, I I I agree with your points, but there is still something about this game that I do like. Ah, screw it! I'm gonna mark it down to two. I'm giving it a two. <laughs> I don't hate this game, but I don't think I enjoy it enough to keep going back to it.
1: Yeah, I think this is a 2. I'm going to enjoy not going back to it, I'll tell you what.
0: They could have easily made this game better, I think. I don't know. but So yeah, I'm marking it down to a 2. I, this isn't the first time I've done this, but um, I haven't done this in a while. In fact, I think the last time I did this, you, <laughs> you were trying to convince me to actually give a game a higher rating, and that was Tron. I mean, come on, it's Tron. Yeah, but... I, I, I didn't go care through much the game, for the movie, but, but su- man, that's a great say, game. All I will say with that one is you did successfully convince me to give it a five. Yeah. And you did convince me to knock this down a point. So not so much that, but just thinking about it. But anyway, so there you go. So uh, we didn't talk about scores. Uh, first of all, home ports, as I said, there were none. But uh, let's talk about scores real quick.
1: Yeah. there were no home. home, home? There were no home ports because Over. people who wrote home ports had better taste. Uh Uh-huh. Let's see. First, I'm going to start with my ego here and tell you... Oh, I also played Super Burger Time, and it's a better game than I remember.
0: I've played that in emulation. I don't really care for it too much. I don't like the fact you have to jump on the patties.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've... I've, Well, we should talk about the game in in an episode sometime. But um, my score, the highest of all the times I've played Aliens... Excuse me. Mind you, this is just on one credit, no continues, because, you know, that's the rules... Uh, 29,500. Now, for other people, oh, by the way, I first played this game on August 26, 2018. Uh, Other people, uh, believe it or not, there's no record at all for aliens in Twin Galaxies. There's not even a track for it. There is one. There's one in MAME. There's one for MAME, though, which I don't quite understand why. I I don't know. Oh, well. But uh, Orcade.com. Assuming you use two lives normal difficulty settings, well, looky here, it's Pete Hahn with a score of 511,900, which he achieved on May 24th, 2018 at the Galloping Ghost Arcade. So, there.
0: There you have it. And I'm not going to make you say it. So, well. Um, well. Yeah, well, we talked, there are no home ports and no sequels, and that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. I say I say play it once just so you get the idea and then see if I'm not right in my assessment of the game. And then move on to reactor. Oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I think with that I should reveal the theme of today's episode, should I? Yeah, let's reveal. Yeah. Both of these games have something to do with a reactor.
1: Oh. How does aliens
0: have something to do with a reactor? Reactor is obvious, but aliens? Well, in the movie, they're stuck on this colony trying to fight off the aliens but then due to a crash landing of the <laughs> <Duties>. drop shift <laughs> uh, of, their, of the dropship, ship which should have gotten them off the planet, come to find out it damaged uh, a power reactor on the colony and they have to get somehow the other drop ship from the main ship in space down to the planet before the reactor blows everything up in a huge nuclear fireball. So, yeah, there is a reactor involved in Aliens. They don't make much mention of it in the arcade game, but they do show the nuclear explosion at the end of the game when you solve it. So, that's close enough for me. And how. Very carefully, that's how. So, with that, don't we have people we
1: need to thank? Yes, first of all, thank you to Steve Tui over at Tooheyville.com. T-O-U-H-Y-V-I-L-L-E. Thank you, Steve, for adding Pie Factory Podcast to your program lineup and this episode has been underwritten by Outpost 30 Eatery and Eatery. And we thank the following thank people Art Guglielmo, Atari Bytes D. Alex, Greg Polander, Jonas Rulo, Keith Sheehan, Kyle Eder, Michael D'Angelo, Nate Lockhart, New Balance Stores Phoenix, PJ Steele, Richard Browns, Richard Valdez. Thank you. Thank you. I almost said Richard Corey. No, Rory Coleman, Steve <laughs> Steiner, Tim <laughs> okay. Foley, and Underground Retrocade. Thank you all okay. for helping us out on patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. If you wish to be added to that thank you list, then go over to patreon.com slash pie factory podcast and, uh, uh, give, and, uh, basically subscribe to us for, a, for a dollar or more per month. Indeed do. And that's a lot of entertainment. For
0: $2. Lots of bang for the bunk. Bunk? buck. Hey, well, actually, I think I was right the first time.
1: Oh, by the way, we're also going to be offering uh, Pie Factory Podcast t-shirts, by the way. Uh, if you're interested in purchasing one, uh, please get in touch with us at, at our email address, uh, which you'll hear our booth announcer say, Um, at the end of the show and uh, let us know what size you are. We'll let you know a cost as soon as we can uh, uh, get the calculation going. Uh, They're the same shirts that we wear at uh, Midwest Gaming Classic. They're kind of light gray, has a big old Pie Factory podcast logo on front and a very witty saying on the back along with our contact information.
0: And if you send us a few extra bucks, uh, I'll make sure that I don't wear them before we send them out to you.
1: Oh, there we go. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that's
0: what I had to say, so. So, and I think we should reveal the games for the next episode? Oh, oh yes,
1: please reveal the games for the next episode.
0: Yeah, I, th- and I think this is going to be a blatantly obvious theme. We're going to talk about Mr. Dew's Castle and Mr. Dew's Wild Ride.
1: Ooh, what could the theme be?
0: Whatever could the theme be? We don't know. Huh. So, there you have it. And we will talk to you all again in a couple of weeks. Uh, whether you listen or not, well, that's up to you. So. Exactly. So, this is uh, Sean from Chicago signing off. And Jimmy G no longer having to worry about getting sued by a restaurant in Pittsburgh. woo Woo-hoo! Woohoo! And bye bye. Microsoft Works.
1: This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre opening and closing theme
0: is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Addenda and Errata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash
1: Podcast. <laughs> That's it, man. Game over, man. It's
0: game over. So there you go, I guess. Here I go. A letter opener.
1: Anyway. We're not doing that a third time. No. Hide, cut that out, please.
0: I only did it one time, actually, tonight. Yeah, but this is the that third the episode first time. in a row. Third episode in a row? Yep. Really? Oh. Yeah. Leave it in, Hide. There'll be a little extra <laughs> no, something Hyde, in the cut paycheck. it out. There, I, I, I'll give you my bag of combos. And they're the pizza ones, if you leave it in. Ha! <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> Trumped. Hide, I will give you two bags. Ah, oh, damn it. All right. Cut it out. So...